Macro Podcast number 412 for June 18th, 2014, brought to you by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. Igloo, an internet you'll actually use, and Quello Concerts, the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries. Welcome to another Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and with me, of course, is... Serenity Caldwell. Glad to be here, as always, Chris, to talk about relative Apple news and miscellaneous with you. Yeah. You know, you had a, a good story last week. Well, they're all good, but this <laughs> one was particularly good. It was five times better than a normal story because it had five different things in it. Five different things. Five <laughs> different things. It was variety. It was good. But um, it was some a subject that a lot of people are interested in, and that's... What's coming in iOS 8? And you talk about five features that you want right now because they're so entrancing to you. So um, I thought we could talk about some of those and maybe you could start rattling off the list and then I will sit in judgment and say, yes, I agree (laughs) or no, I don't care about that at all. Um, All right. Well, let's see. I uh, one of the one of the things, of course, we've talked about continuity a lot, but I, I gave it another tip of the hat in my article about how I'm I'm really excited to be able to sort of pass things off between my iOS devices because as a tech reporter, um, and I'm sure you have this problem as well, we have many devices that get alerts on many different uh, in many different places, and I really like the idea of. Uh, pick, you know, starting something on my iPhone and then being able to transition to my Mac. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's cool, too. Um, My judgment is yes, uh, thumbs up. But, um, and I'm moving my thumb just a little bit to the left. Um, Question is, is it a feature you think a lot of people are actually going to use? In other words, does it demo really well and think, wow, (laughs) that looks really cool versus how often am I really going to be in a position where I'm sitting with my iPhone and my Mac in front of me and going, you know, actually, I'm going to move this task over there. I think it's really going to depend on how seamless continuity is between mm-hmm. the two devices. Um, I've seen, of course, we saw the, the demo on stage, and it really does demo very well. Um, if indeed it works as seamlessly as it does on screen, where if your Mac is sitting next to your iPhone, you suddenly get that little pop-up, um, I think that'll make people a lot more willing to use it quickly, especially if it's not dropping data or losing right. anything. Uh, I think if it doesn't work 100% of the time, then people won't use it at all, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is kind of what happened with Messages in the early days. And, yeah. and now Messages has gotten a little bit better and people are using it more. I mean, they're talking about billions of messages being sent every day. Um, so I think if it if it is as easy to use as Apple promises, uh, I think that might be really, really useful. Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, I think if it works good, um, I will invite audience participation on this, which <laughs> is hard to do when something is pre-recorded. But um, should you listen to our podcast on our website, throw a comment in or two. And um, I'd be interested to know on how many people, once they've sort of seen the demo, say, yeah, this looks really great, and then think about it for a while and think, how often will I use this? And uh, and we'll see, because I think it sounds like a very exciting platform for developing on into the future. But I don't know how many people are going to change their habits immediately to jump from one device and and back to uh, the original device. But we'll see. Okay, so that was me being very judgmental. Um, mm-hmm. Judge away, Chris. Let's do it again. Let's talk about right. Siri with HomeKit. Yeah. Um, so it's the the thing I wrote about in the article is sort of two different features that are coming to Siri with iOS. And number one is the idea that you'll be able to summon Siri when she's plugged in or when she's plugged in, when your phone is plugged in um, and or using a battery case, which is pretty nifty. You can just say, hey, Siri, and the phone will light up and listen to the rest of your communique, a la some of the um, okay glass things that Google has done. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's really, you know, you can, that should be really, really neat for, say, if you're in the car and you're hooked up and you don't want to touch a button at all and you just want to start speaking. Or um, hypothetically, if your phone is plugged in in the morning and you don't necessarily want to touch it while you're waking up and say, Hey Siri, what time is it? Hey Siri, what's the temperature outside? And Siri will chime up and, and, tell you, which is pretty neat. And then in addition to that, we've got the HomeKit pairings. Um, And HomeKit looks to be, again, very promising depending on hardware integration, where you just talk to Siri and Siri will 
execute your communication by uh, pulling up various parts of uh, of these home automation tools and being like, all right, if you say, hey, Siri, good night, then maybe your garage door will close and your lights will turn off and your porch light will turn on. And it's it feels very uh, f- feels very Jetsons to me. And I have no idea how feasible this actually will be, how expensive it will be for uh, for people in uh who own their homes and especially for people who are renting, how they're going to be able to use something like this. Um, But the, the concept really excites me and I I really hope to get to use uh, some of the home automation uh, little add-ons in my apartment, like the lights and see if, uh, see how that all sort of shakes out. Yep. And, uh, and another thumbs up um, at the risk of being too agreeable. Um, and then I'll throw another caveat in there. And then again, it's, it's if it works. And as you suggest, if it works the way it should, this could be really awesome. Uh, however, people who have used Siri in the past to just try, you know, to get across town, for example, and have been told the wrong directions or just Siri saying, um, I can't talk to you right now. So when you say, hey, Siri, turn up the heat, and then your bathtub starts running, (laughs) and you go, no, 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 shut off the bathtub, and then your garage door opens, you say, no, Siri, please, and then the ejector seat in your car goes off. (laughs) And then you're just, I mean, that also sounds very much like the Jetsons, let's be fair. True, Um, true enough. But I, well, I think there's another feature coming to Siri that they mentioned, too, which is sort of the automatic response, uh, not typing, the... uh, sort of prediction as your uh, translation as you talk that's what Mm -hmm. it's called Uh, which uh, OS X has currently for dictation where you get to kind of see what you're saying like you get to see what it's translating as as you're speaking Uh, which I think could potentially be very useful for things like Siri especially when you're talking when you're like hey Siri turn off my lights Um, and if it translates to Hey Siri, the bathtub needs to fight, or something like that. And Siri <laughs> translates that to "I should turn off the bathtub." Uh, you can catch it, you know, before it executes, and be like, "Oh no, 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 that's not what I meant." Right. Um, well, I think your example of the car works even better for me because I, I do know that there have been times I've been in the car I wanted to use Siri, and I sort of fumble around, not taking my eyes off the road, to punch and hold Siri's button so that I can talk to Siri and Siri can tell me things. But the idea of just being able to say, hey, Siri, and then pull stuff up while I'm driving is is great, because then you really are hands-free versus kind of most of the time hands-free. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I, I think it's going to be really cool. Um, and another uh, another feature that I'm looking forward to that's system-wide is, is QuickType. Um, QuickType is, of course, Apple's sort of attempted 3.0 version of the keyboard, Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't actually change all of that much on the keyboard itself, other than adding this little top bar um, atop the keyboard shelf uh, that provides three different uh, predictive text options. So when you're typing, uh, the keyboard will now try and predict what you're saying. And of course, all of this data is stored locally on your phone, so it's not being accidentally transmitted to anybody. but it'll it's predictive and it potentially uh, can read your emails and your messages and uh, come up with uh, with how you talk to certain people and as such sort of improve its predictive typing database, uh, which, you know, assuming everything stays private and knowing Apple and knowing their commitment to, to privacy and security, I assume that they've, you know, put the proper precautions in place and reading some of the technical documents that came out of WWDC, it certainly seems like it. Um, and in addition, uh, it should help all of the uh, potential autocorrect problems that we run into where, you know, you're trying to type the name of a band, for instance, and it thinks, oh, you're trying to say rubber band. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And instead, it allows you to kind of tap the word as is as well as offer two two different options. Uh, You know, I don't know, again, this, this may be more or less useful in practice depending on how you type. Um, but having seen the demos, I can already see it being really, really useful. Again, if you're trying to jot down something quickly, um, if you're trying to autocomplete really, really long words, um, 
you know, it'll pop up very, very quickly what more or less the word that you want. So you can just mm-hmm. tap that and then you're automatically going on to your next word, which is pretty neat. And the uh, the predictive typing, as I said before, I think that's ass- assuming that secu- everything is securely kept and encrypted and, you know, we're not leaking our personal information to the World Wide Web at large. This is a really, really neat feature and a, a cool way to kind of overhaul the keyboard without you know, translating to crazy things like swipes, zigzag typing, um, which that's also going to be a feature in iOS 8. Third-party keyboards, that's pretty nifty. Yeah, I like the third-party keyboard uh, idea a lot because they're, not because I necessarily want to start using a Dvorak keyboard, but the kind of things that people could plug into it. So text expander or one password. If, yeah. if there's no other way to get in there, maybe that's the method for them to get into the browser and into other apps. Um, unless they find a way to do it through extension. So it looks <laughs> like they have two possible ways to get in, which would be great. If, as long as I don't have to switch apps to do things like one password, I would be very happy. I've seen a QuickType thing um, on Android and used it where it has that word predictive sort of thing. And it's okay. I, I didn't get into the habit of doing it. So I think after I train myself for a while, I'm going to find it pretty useful. But I like the idea of it being contextually aware of who I'm typing to or the kind of communication I'm doing to see how smart it really is. If it turns out to be as brilliant as they suggest it will be, this could be amazingly helpful. On the other hand, if it's sort of like, hmm. Uh, Egg freckles. Yeah, I don't need any of these words. Thank you very much for taking up even more of my screen real estate to propose these three words that I'm not at all interested in. I will um, say, uh, having having seen iOS 8 in action on, uh, on a device, um, it is interesting that for instance, a, a person who shall remain nameless was trying to type in like "ha ha," and it delivered three different variations on laughter um, online, which I thought was very clever. Ah. Rather than just like there was like "ha," there was "ha ha 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 ha," and then there was "ah ha 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 ha." So ah. you know, it d- definitely seems like it potentially learns. Yeah, so varying degrees of intensity. So how funny do you really think this is? This is just a simple LOL, or are you L? Is it a? <laughs> are you R O F L? Right. Uh, okay, and uh, okay, so yeah, I'm going to agree with those. Good. Um, oh, you like the idea of photos in the cloud? I love the idea of photos in the cloud. I've been using so many photo streaming services uh, over the past couple of years, trying to consolidate my photo library because I use a couple different Macs, you know. I have my iMac that I use for work and then I have my 11-inch MacBook Air which travels with me everywhere but has it doesn't have the storage facility to to hold, you know, 100 gigabytes worth of photos. And then I also have a 15-inch uh, MacBook Pro which is going on 5 years old now. Um, which has a huge hard drive, but uh but not much else, you know. I don't use it all that much cuz it's an older machine. Uh, so trying to consolidate my photo library has been a, a, a very torturous task, mm. especially because you have these wonderful services um, like Everpix, like Loom, which come into business, out of business, get bought by people, uh, get folded in. And you're like, I just I just want a place to put my photos that works where I can access them and not worry about them getting deleted or randomly disappearing. Um, and... I'm hoping that Apple's solution will be a good one. I really like the idea that the f- the iCloud photo library becomes your canonical source and sort of like iTunes Match where you can download things locally to your device, but everything also lives in the cloud and your adjustments sync over the cloud so you don't have to adjust one photo or delete one photo and then have that photo still be on your other devices and have that be really frustrating. Um, and of course, when, uh, when f- the photos app for the Mac shows up next year, you'll also be able to sync all of your photos that you have on your Mac. So in theory, you should have this wonderful, thorough collection on your iPhone, on your Mac and on iCloud.com. And I, I just, again, like we're going to have to wait for these pieces to fall into mm-hmm. place and hopefully Apple will come up with a very smart solution where, it's very clear to consumers and users that, you know, hey, 
you may also want to keep a backup of your photos, yeah. you know, not in the cloud, just for redundancy's sake. Uh, but it has the potential, I think, to be really, really exciting um, and really easy for people to pull their photos from anywhere. PhotoStream was kind of a, a good inroads, but um, but I want I want the big kahuna. I want all of my photos in the cloud. Okay. I do, too. But I think your warning to, to make sure you have a local copy is really important mm-hmm. uh, because these are things you cannot replace. You can buy new songs, you can buy new movies, but if you've taken a picture of your niece, parent, dog, cat, whatever, you're never going to get that moment back. So it certainly would behoove Apple, as you suggest, say, please make up a backup copy. And then, look, we're going we're gonna to make it easier for you to do that, to do it locally. Um, but also, here's a place... As you suggest, when you've got seven devices that all have different images on them, and you've got also the shoebox over in the corner of your computer somewhere that's got another 10,000 images, to be able Mm -hmm. to put them all in one place and sort through them easily and quickly, which is paramount in that uh, iPhoto is not always easy or quick. No. Um, So, yes, if if it works, great. Really, (laughs) really good. Um. Last thing you wanted, uh, oh, what you want right now are smart gestures and buttons, which makes so much sense. Yes, I am. I am so happy to see a contextual notifications coming into play. Uh, like with everything in the OS, I feel like iOS eight is getting a little bit smarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and as such, they're adding a couple new gestures uh, and sort of elongating certain gestures so that you can do more with your phone. And we've seen third-party apps add in new gestures um, and swipes, which is really great. But to see them make their way over to the Mail app, for instance, that we can, you know, do a short swipe to uh, to access some settings on a, on a mail message, and then a long swipe to send that message all the way to the trash or to archive that message or swipe the opposite direction to fly that message or mark it as unread like that's that's really nifty it shows apple sort of paying attention to the landscape at large and and adding in features that their uh that their user base will really get something out of and use a lot which is awesome and doing so in a really uh easy to use way in a way that's discoverable that's not oh what did i accidentally do with my message Mm -hmm. how did that work um and uh, contextual notifications, it's the same thing. It's like, oh, good. Now when I pull down my message, uh, I get buttons to accept or decline a meeting or uh, or to like something on Facebook or to quick reply to a message. God bless quick reply. <laughs> um <laughs> So it's things like that, things like the uh, your recent contacts and your favorites being accessible from the multitasking bar. Mm-hmm. This is maybe my favorite tiny little feature coming to iOS 8 because it means I never have to open the phone app or the contacts app again if I want to talk to my friends. Right. Um, which God knows how much time I've spent uh sort of flicking through either the favorites my favorites menus a little bit long the contacts app is really long and now it's like oh i want to talk to this person who recently called me or recently sent me a text message all i have to do is double tap the home button and and their face pops up well that's a lot easier than trying to remember what their phone number is yeah it always seemed to me under recent versions of ios that you were compelled to like walk into a different room to do something else. Mm-hmm. Like it would, a notification would come up and go, Oh, good. I want to deal with this. Well, I'm sorry. You're going to have to move to a different app to do it. <laughs> okay. So go walk. You, this happened in this room. Go walk to the other room and do that other thing in that room. And then you can come back here to this room and do what you were doing before instead of just saying, No, you, you've told me and that's good. That's a half step. But let me deal with it right here instead of having to divert my attention to this other completely different area of the of the device and then come back again. So one of those things that's like, yeah, should have been there. Glad it's there now. And, uh, and it will make our lives more convenient. So uh, in regard to thumbs, I think we got five for five. And uh, you're right again. Yay, so, I love being right. Oh, I, well, the, the, you know, the chances are that you're going to be right. Almost all the time. So, um, <laughs> and so far, you've got a perfect record. Woohoo! Uh, yay! So that's good. Um, let's uh, let's take a break because um, I want to talk about Citrix's share file, and uh, it enhances your workflow. 
by the way. And you can send files of almost any size easily and securely, and it really works. I use it, and, uh, and it's good. So let's talk about that. The constant flow of information is crucial to business. Contracts, spreadsheets, invoices, and other important business files are sent as regular email attachments with no reliable means to ensure that they've been received or reviewed. In fact, you lose control the moment you hit send. And that's why you need Citrix's ShareFile. It's the easy-to-use business solution for sending, receiving, and sharing files. With ShareFile, your attachments are sent as secure links, so you can send files of almost any size without bounce-backs. They're always under your control. You decide who has access to your files and for how long. You receive notifications telling you who opens your files and when they do that. Plus, you can password protect files for optimal security. Then, you can easily share files and collaborate with others. And ShareFile mobile apps allow you to access your files anywhere, anytime. In my own case, I've pretty much dispensed with other cloud services. When I have a large file to send, I just upload it to ShareFile and send the recipient a link. When they've accessed it, I receive a notification, which is particularly helpful when you're under deadline and are keenly aware of the benefits of speedy action. So how can you get in on this? Sign up today for a 30-day free trial, no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Again, Visit sharefile.com and type in Macworld. So Apple, of course, has been in the news uh, lately because of WWDC and, and varying related topics. And uh, the New York Times uh, put out a profile of Tim Cook on those uh, on, on those lines uh, on Saturday, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first, you know, the first couple paragraphs are, are very interesting and inspiring. They tell us an interesting story about Tim Cook's uh, childhood that I'd never read before um, that really, I think, paints a good picture of who he is and uh, and why he does what he does. And then, then the New York Times goes down the rabbit hole <laughs> and they go, they go away from this lovely thesis that they've painted in the opening paragraph and they start talking about snoozeworthy developments at WWDC and boring for the general public and shares. And we start going into Wall Street complaining territory and less about the company as is and more Steve would have never done this and the company is failing. And well, not necessarily saying outright, you know, we're criticizing Apple speaking in a very strange tone. That I, I don't know. I, I I assume you read this piece, Chris. It's kind of just left me really cold. Yeah, it was as you say. It was down the rabbit hole. It's a well-worn rabbit hole, and the the premise is again. Well, there hasn't been a huge new thing under Tim Cook. I mean, the Mac Pro, new Mac Pro, is certainly under Tim Cook. So we can give him you know notch a. A line in his uh, his credit uh, row for that one, but but the delayed iWatch said people <laughs> yeah the <were>. delayed <laughs> iWatch um, yeah I mean the, the thing is that people expect Apple to come out with new stuff every six months and they always have to be you know life changing and and Tim is still there and they're still working on stuff and he says yeah there's stuff coming down the line but as we know from Apple's past they don't release things until they think they're good enough. And that there, it makes sense for them to be released. So when, if indeed Apple is working on something like an iWatch, they'll release it when they think it's time and it's ready. And uh, there'll be an actual use for it instead of just saying, yeah, look, we did one too. So here, um, what part of the piece that I did like is, is that opening bit that you mentioned where he talks about one of the reasons that he's interested in the company doing good. Um, and this is in contrast, I think, to to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was really interested in making amazing stuff that would change people's lives. And uh, we would go, wow, when we looked at him and think they were beautiful and artful. And I don't think Tim Cook feels any differently than that. I think he's as enthusiastic about it. But he's also talking about the world at large and how Apple can make our society better and how we can make the world better. And that's in terms of doing things that are greener, uh, you know, where they can. Um, he talks a lot about injustice. Now, Apple can't do much in that regard, except use the power of, um, of their success to sort of use the bully pulpit, uh, pulpit and be able to say, look, you know, things could be better than they are. And, um, and also in their own, 
in the way they run their company and so that they're fairer to people and, and, and that kind of thing. So I like that take on it, that, that Tim Cook is kind of looking beyond Apple and then out into the world at large. Um, but yeah, when they started getting into the, um, you know, the stock isn't perfect for us and uh, we haven't seen the new thing. And Steve Jobs is like John. Oh, this is the pull quote. Steve Jobs is like John Lennon and Tim Cook is like Ringo, which I just thought was Oh, yeah. it just made me frustrated. Yeah, it's it was unnecessary. Way to way to miss the point. <laughs> way to miss the point and and continue to prey on the average Apple user with hype and fear and mongering and I just I don't appreciate stories like that. If you want to do a well researched piece on why you think Apple is not doing well, then by all means. Uh, but don't use the same buzzwords that everyone else has been, you know, everyone else who's who's drumming up, you know, stocks surging on Wall Street is using. Do your own research and uh, and mentioning the iWatch is not going to get you more page views. <laughs> yeah, well, although it may. <laughs> That's the problem is that, uh... you know, cheesy journalism does. If you throw Apple in, in a headline, even though a story that has virtually nothing to do with it, or it's just the same old stuff, you do get a lot of hits. And so people in editorial are tempted to throw these kinds of stories out there. I agree with you. I wish that it had either been a real profile of Tim Cook, but he's a pretty private person. So may, they may not have had a lot of material. Mm -hmm. um, or if they want to do the, the usual Wall Street analysis, go ahead and do that story again. But trying to tie the two of them together and sort of calling in the same old voices to either praise or slam Apple is, um, I don't know, that that's terribly helpful. Yeah, it's not my not my favorite piece I read this week. Right, okay. Oh, oh, one thing that did come out of it, though, is that a couple of people have pulled this quote from Johnny Ives saying that he didn't feel that things are much different at Apple since uh, under Tim versus Steve in terms of innovation. Um, do you think that's the case? Um. I think, yeah, I, I feel like Apple obviously lost a big powerhouse when it lost Steve Jobs. And Steve, no one questions the amount that Steve brought to the company. Um, but there are many other people working at Apple. And there were, you know, creating a revolutionary new product takes a lot of minds um, and a lot of smarts. Uh, and it's not, you know, one one man is going to make a dent in the universe, but he's not going to bring down the company without him. He left an incredible legacy in the people that are working at Apple and the people who succeeded. You know, I think Tim Cook is a very, very different uh, CEO than, than Jobs ever was. Uh, but I don't necessarily think he's the wrong CEO for Apple. In fact, uh, speaking of pieces that were written this weekend... Uh, John Gruber's piece on on only Apple is very much worth reading. I think we external link to it over yeah. the weekend on Macworld.com, um, where he basically paints a picture of you know why it's so impressive, like what what Tim Cook has done for the company, and the idea that you know Tim Cook is yes more of an operations guy than a than a uh, magic guy you know he's not necessarily the person sitting in the basement meditating and coming up with revolutionary new, new products but he's the guy who under the hood is making apple the place it needs to be so that it can work on multiple revolutionary new products at once that it can set the stage so that you know the company can do things like release ios and os 10 and a brand new language framework for developers and a bunch of new apis and have hardware coming down the pipe. Like we look back just a couple of years ago and Apple, I mean, even even iOS 6 and iOS 7 suffered from, oh, well, some things feel unpolished mm -hmm. while other things are unbalanced because clearly they put more work into this and they didn't have enough time to work on this. And, and that's slowly improving. And I, you know, Gruber makes the argument that that's Tim Cook's influence and I, I can't help but agree. Uh, that's, you know, that's very clearly an we're, you know, we're unifying departments and, and making operations work smoothly. And the stuff that is coming out of the new stuff that is coming out of Apple may not be exactly what Steve Jobs would have created, but it, they're still really wonderful innovations. And, and that's what I'm excited about. You know, it, it doesn't really matter who's making the innovations as long as they're smart, as long as the cultural aesthetic of Apple is still together. 
Yeah, and I think that, that all that is in Apple's DNA. What I do see with, with some changes at Apple is that there's a maturing and kind of a mellowing um, at the company. And I think part of that, yep. what we've seen is with people who are there and people who are not there anymore. Um, Katie Cotton, tough, necessary for the time she was there. But I don't think, I mean, she was very much a Steve kind of person. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's a Tim kind of person. I think no. Tim wants to sort of put out this, you know, we're mature here. We don't need to get emotional about this. Um, we're steady by gum. We're going to succeed. And, and we are because, you know, we're smart people. We get things done. Scott Forstall, another kind of Steve kind of guy, emotional, visionary, driven. But I don't know that he would fit under a Tim Cook sort of administration. And I think I don't know how Katie left. She retired, apparently. But I, I have to think that there were some changes there where she felt like this is a good time to go. Forstall, on the other hand, was just more like, no, we kind of think you're disruptive, so time to go for you. And then the elevation of Craig Federighi, where Mm. you have him on stage, he's relaxed. I mean, he's hyper and relaxed at the same time, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Entertaining, but, um, you know, risks making jokes where maybe you wouldn't have done that under Steve Jobs. But Cook has the confidence in him to go, yeah, go ahead, have fun, be casual about this. You know, it certainly express a sense of excitement about it. Um, but we don't have to be, you know, like we've come down from the mountain bearing the two tablets. This is cool stuff, right? But it, it isn't, it doesn't have to have the gravitas that, uh, that Steve Jobs may have uh, brought to it, um, which I think shows a confidence in the company that, and a confidence from Steve Cook, uh, Steve Cook, sorry, Tim Cook, that, um, you know, we can do this stuff without, um, without having to get too serious about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, so um, let's take another break, and let's talk about Igloo, which is an internet that you'll actually use. Igloo is bringing task management into the internet, but how is yet another task management system actually going to help you get your work done? Think about all the tasks you do that aren't part of a specific project. For example, updating a graphic in a presentation, requesting text changes in a document, or delegating to-dos after a meeting. Igloo makes this easy by keeping these kinds of tasks with your content. You don't need a project or a specific task list, but you're welcome to use them if you like. Content tasks inform your team if a document needs edits or if it's ready to go to the client. They're particularly great for recurring meetings. You can, for example, view everything talked about in last week's meeting and then see which tasks you've completed and which you haven't. And you can because the tasks are right there. And when you're the one assigned tasks, whether it's on a project list, on content, or a personal task, they all show up in one view. It's the easiest way to manage your day-to-day work. Tasks are free for all Igloo customers coming this summer as part of Igloo's latest update, Unicorn. Learn more at igloosoftware.com slash Macworld. So something I'm working on this week uh, is for the uh, for the folks who, you know, are really excited about iOS 8 and, and OS 10 Yosemite like I am, uh, but don't necessarily have a developer account, don't want to experiment with betas and, and worry about all of that, uh, but do want to get, you know, some of those features a little bit early. Uh, and uh, as always, uh, the the route through such things is usually through third party apps. Uh, so the the ones I've actually been looking at uh, recently, I've been kind of experimenting with time lapse apps that are in the uh, in the app store right now, and I'm I'm creating a collection, and I thought they're they're pretty cool. And I was wondering if you you had any any features uh, that you know are coming to iOS eight and Yosemite that you think our our readers would could benefit from by using now uh, in certain third-party apps or in certain uh, certain settings. Yeah, I was looking at family sharing because that is has always been kind of a pain, but partly it's because people don't understand how to do it. The idea is that you would like to have all the media that you get through iTunes available to everybody in your family instead of like, oh, dad bought this and mom bought this and little Susie bought this and little Johnny bought that and nobody can touch anybody else's media. (laughs) Um, What family sharing will do is allow you to take all that stuff and put it all under one Apple ID or one credit, tie all these accounts to one credit card. And then you can all just say, yeah, here you can have this. Plus you can turn on parental controls. So if little Johnny isn't ready yet for the walking dead, he's not going to be able to take a look at it. 
Um, but it's all kind of possible now if you want to go to the trouble to create a single Apple ID that you share among the devices in the family. You can share up to that ID up to 10 devices, um, a limit of five Macs on that, or five computers, sorry. Um, so it doesn't really help you with the stuff that you've already accumulated, but going forward, if you create one credit card account tied to one Apple ID and then give that Apple ID to everybody in the family, and then on their devices, just set up the iTunes store and the app store to access that account versus an individual account, then yes, you can indeed share, share all this stuff. But as I say, it's kind of a pain to do. So I hope that family sharing is going to make it easier. So it really is kind of like a two tap process and like, oh, good. Now we can all look at this stuff. What yeah. about you? Um, so in addition to the time lapse things, I was thinking about um, the new spotlight features in Yosemite are really cool, you know, offering quick access to Wikipedia and to Google and stuff like that. In addition to just the regular searching of your computer. Um, and for that, I'd recommend people check out launcher apps, which have been around forever. Yeah. Um, but they, of course, the one that, you know, reminds me most of uh, Yosemite's sort of app is, uh, or Yosemite's new spotlight feature is Alfred, uh, which I've been using for about a year and a half and, and absolutely love. Um, Alfred, you know, not, not only allows you to search your, your computer, but you can also pull up Google searches. You can create custom shortcuts. Um, so you can, you know, if you just type in MW, for instance, followed by a keyword, it will search the Macworld website, followed by a key, followed by whatever you've typed, which is pretty neat. Um, there's sort of advanced features that you can set up. It's a quick calculator, which I love. Um, and it, you know, it, it's not going to have quite as deep integration as Yosemite's uh, search bar is going, or Yosemite's spotlight feature is going to. Like, you won't be able to see inline maps or anything cool like that. Uh, but it's a really, it's a really nice sort of intermediary step. And Alfred also has all of these extra like power pack features for advanced users that include like launching Apple scripts and, and uh, various things like that, that really it make it a, a really cool and powerful launcher. So I consider, you know, people who who've never ex have never experimented with launcher apps before should check it out. I just started using it again. I, I got it early on and I kind of played with it for a while and then I had to put it aside and I didn't make it a part of my workflow. And when Yosemite was announced, then I said, ah, that looks like Alfred. It's time for me to spend <laughs> more time with it. So I, I pungled up for the um, power pack. And you're right, it does a ton of stuff. But it's going to require me to you know, train myself to actually use the thing mm -hmm. um, instead of rely. Because right now, it's so ingrained to me to go to Spotlight and just bang something out. And it's like, hey, okay, that's fine. And then anything else I... I actually use um, you know other utilities to get there. Um, what about LaunchBar? Do you use LaunchBar? I've never used LaunchBar, but I know our, our pal Dan Frakes really loves it. Um, for honestly, I'm kind of more in your camp where it took me a long time to actually get me to use a launcher because I'm in that weird, stubborn subsect of tech users, right? Where I'm like, this is awful. I'm doing the same command over and over. There must be a way to automate this. And then I find out what the way is and then don't use it. Right. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, well, I, I have this option. Um, like uh, Text Expander is a great example, or 1Password, which mm -hmm. are both utilities that I only just started using. Text Expander, I put off buying for the longest time because I'm like, yeah, I can type this manually out every time. It's fine. And then when I finally, I took, you know, an hour to get Text Expander set up and being able to type, you know, shortcuts and pull up that menu is has been a game changer. But it, it took me finally, you know, having the time and inputting all of this stuff. And even now I'm like, oh, well, I have a new shortcut that would be really useful to add to Text Expander, And then I don't do it. <laughs> I'm the same way. And I think it's part of, well, I'm an old dog and, and you're, a, you're a young dog. Um, <laughs> but, but it is that feeling right yeah it's right like, i know what i know how to do this i don't need a new i don't need a new way well yeah because you've been using computers since you were born basically yeah. so you're you too are an old dog in that you're used to doing things a certain way you get these workflows in and yes there are easier ways to do it but then when you think contemplate like yeah okay let's see two hours to set that up and then i'm gonna have to remember to to do it and that'll probably take a week of training myself until Impulse i get into training. this yep. yeah exactly and um and I do tend to kind of use 
the same tools over and over again. I'm still using drag thing and I'm, and I'm not knocking this as old technology. I think it's a wonderful utility, but it's very much a dock like utility versus a uh, key input because I, I shouldn't hesitate too much because I, I do use spotlight quite a bit for, for keyboard input, but it does sort of smack of using a command line interface where I thought, well, I did that in the really, really old days. And do I want to go back <laughs> to do that? Or would I much rather just click on an icon somewhere and then have wonderful things happen, which I can do with drag thing. Cause you can set up a series of actions or use keyboard maestro, which I'm a big fan of macro utilities. So that one I love where I can trigger a bunch of stuff through that, including text expander, like, uh, snippets, which, um, which I think is helpful. And, and Apple doesn't offer anything like that except kind of automator, but not to that um, yeah. fine degree. Yeah, I think third-party utilities like that can be really, really useful if you're willing to put the time in. And, you know, despite despite how long I used Photoshop 3 insistently, um, <laughs> you know, eventually there, there's a time when you gotta, you got to uh, put in a little bit of new time to, to learn new things. And to set up all your workflows, um, because then it works out really well. Yeah. Uh, was there anything else you, because I, I was thinking about the same thing before you started working on that piece and thinking, what can we do now that they're going to make, and I just, I could come up with a couple of things, but not a lot. Yeah, um, there you know there there are bits and pieces here and there. Of course, iCloud Drive you can currently right. sort of imitate that with Dropbox, which is pretty cool. Um, iOS eight. I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that are sort of uh, duplicated in uh, in apps. Um, the Health app obviously you won't get anything quite so full featured with your devices, but uh, each you know individual devices like the Fitbit have uh, very similar dashboards. Um, family sharing, as you mentioned, uh, you can't quite obviously get a third-party keyboard uh, device-wide, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of third-party keyboard apps right. that allow you to use third-party keyboards inside a specific app. So if you want to get used to things like QuickType or uh, or the Swipe keyboard um, or the Flexi keyboard, uh, there are there are apps that you can sort of start training now, <laughs> which is which is kind of cool. Um, Messages is new features, uh, the group messaging and audio messaging and quick video messaging. There are apps like GroupMe that will do that and Snapchat, of course. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, for photos, for PhotoStream, uh, the, one, the one app that I'm using right now until iCloud Photo Library hits is Picture Life, which I actually really quite like. It's my new replacement for Loom. And what do you like about it? Uh, Picture Life is well. It, it's easy for one thing. Yeah. It all backs up in the background, so I'm not and it and it's constantly checking for new things in the folder that I've assigned to it, which is nice. And it does something similar to Time Hop, where it sort of shows you a uh, this this moment in uh, this year or this this time period two years ago, which is kind of neat. Where it's like, oh right, I remember that, and mm -hmm. then you get the little. Little bite-sized pangs of nostalgia without necessarily needing to go back through your entire photo library. Um, the search features are pretty good. So it's, I, I mean, I've been enjoying that so far. Stay tuned. In the next week or so, we're probably all going to pitch in and talk about um, third-party apps that you can get now or uh, procedures you can go through to duplicate some of the features that are coming up in iOS 8 and Yosemite. Before we go into the last bit, let's talk about Quello Concerts, the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries. If you love music, this is something you should check out. Quello Concerts is the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries. You can instantly stream the best artists and performances of all time on your iPhone, iPad, iMac, Apple TV, and other major platforms like Android, Windows, Amazon, PlayStation, and Roku. It's got all kinds of great stuff. Full-length concerts from Lady Gaga, Death Cab for Cutie, The Decemberists, Elvis Costello and the Imposters, Fountains of Wayne, and more. Want to check out classics like Eric Clapton, Peter Gabriel, Genesis, Jethro Tull, and The Doors? You can do that too. Or if you really want to go classic, you can go all the way back to Beethoven, Pavarotti, Wynton Marsalis, and B.B. King. Plus, there are amazing music documentaries as well. 
You can watch a whole concert or you be the artist and create a set list of your favorite performances from multiple artists to share with your audience of friends. That's right, you can stream that from any device for your and their listening and viewing pleasure. So just go to quelloconcerts.com slash VIP slash Macworld for a free trial to get a taste of how awesome this is. That's quello, Q-E-L-L-O, concerts.com slash VIP slash Macworld for a free trial. One more time, that's Q-E-L-L-O, concerts.com slash VIP slash Macworld for a free trial. Okay, and then the last thing I wanted to bring up, it really has not very much to do with Apple, but it has to do with Tesla, which has, unlike any other uh, happening tech company in the world today, seems to have taken a different course, and they're going to open up their patents to the public. So we're not going to look forward to people taking Tesla to court or Tesla taking other people to court because somebody's infringed on patents. And contrast this to Apple and Google and Samsung. So is this because... Musk is a forward-looking, innovative kind of person, or is there something else behind it? You know, I, I've i been looking for the, sort of the trap door and the, the catch in this deal, but I honestly feel like, I mean, Musk's big, I mean, his, his big platform, more than any other uh, feature or thing, has been about saving our planet and about saving humanity by getting humanity onto other planets and and looking really looking future forward not just the next five years but the next 50 years um the next hundred years the next thousand years and in part i i think he was less than thrilled about the electric car adoption Mm -hmm. and at this point tesla has become a recognizable enough brand and people are buying teslas much the same way that they're buying apple computers right where they're you know, you, you choose a Tesla, it's definitely expensive, but you choose it for the name value, you choose it for the quality control and everything else. And I think Tesla's gotten to a point where they can be where they can be like, you know what, if you want to use our, I'm, we're going to open up our technology because we want to see more electric cars on the road. Because the sooner we get more electric cars on the road, the more supercharger stations we can build. And in addition to that, uh, the safer our environment will be. And, you know, it's, climate change is a very, very big concern among Musk and, and the world at large at this point. Uh, so I think, you know, it's it's a very magnanimous, smart business decision and i don't think it's funny because i don't think that uh that they're going to get negative pushback from this in terms of you know they're giving away their sales to gm or ford because like i think musk made this point in the press release and i agree with him it's like if ford takes tesla's designs and builds basically a ford version of a tesla tesla gets to say Hey, look for Ford is using our technology. Everybody, you know, if you can't afford a $50,000 Tesla, maybe you can afford a $35,000 or a $20,000 Ford um, that is using our technology and that is, you know, licensing our stuff. And isn't that great? Um, I think that's really it's a it's a very it just it baffles me about how awesome that is and how much I wish that other technology companies would follow in those footsteps because you get all the good press and none of the, you know, very few of the repercussions. Yeah, I am so impressed by him. And because he is sort of building that Jetsons future, unlike mm-hmm. where we sort of imagine things, things, say, oh, well, you can't do that. That's impossible. And so he's we, really focused on it. Yeah. So he says, no, really, let's do this. Really? You're just you're going to shoot rockets up? Yes, we can do that. You're going to make transportation in pneumatic tubes. That seems well, actually, that doesn't sound like such a bad idea. <laughs> Let's do that, too. So I like the fact that he's willing to act on on these ideas that people thought, yeah, that would be a good idea, but, and then dot, dot, dot. It's just, mm-hmm. it's never going to happen. I, I do think there is um, something in it for for Musk and, and uh, Tesla, which is, he's also involved in battery technology. So if somebody were to use his patents to build stuff, they may say, oh, well, we don't actually make. Oh, look, you make batteries, (laughs) Mr. Musk. (laughs) Would you mind if we purchased several hundred thousand of your batteries? No, I would not mind that at all. 
So it raises all boats. It does it does good things to the environment. Maybe it helps out other auto manufacturers, but Tesla's going to get something around. You know, it's going to get something from it as well, which is absolutely people are going to mm-hmm. use their stuff and pay the money, which is fine as far as I'm concerned. Uh, again, I think he's doing good work there. I know there are some people who object to him because. Or, you know, political reasons or whatever it may be. But um, I think it's great. And I hope it sets an example for others in the technology industry so we can stop some of this petty patent trolling because uh, it's such a waste of time and resources. And these companies could be doing better things with their money and their time than sitting in court and yeah, arguing and with each other. Imagine if they spent all the time that they're, they've been arguing in court innovating, you know. If if Phil Schiller and Tim Cook and Federighi and Joni Ive didn't have to come do depositions mm-hmm. and instead are back in their labs working on the revolutionary new products, you know, that that's a lot of time sink. It's a lot of time sink. I think the last Apple trial was something like 75 hours of testimony from each side. I'm like, 75 hours that's being wasted just arguing points in a courtyard in a courtroom for a little bit of money well and it makes companies cautious too thinking well mm-hmm. we could we could be doing oh uh, you know actually somebody else is kind of doing that maybe we shouldn't because we're going to end up in court or certainly small innovators i mean we're talking about huge companies but just talk about little people who are trying to do things and they go well we can't do that because we're going to get sued by somebody and you know these could be the future uh developments that really move us forward as a civilization. And yet, because of these petty legal concerns, like, well, that's not going to happen. So um, good for Musk, good for Tesla. I hope uh, I hope people follow that example. I think it's it's great. And, and sure, they're going to profit from it, but there's nothing wrong with that. And with that, let's put an end to this podcast. If you have any comments or questions for us, please drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com. And we promise to read them. We will. And that wraps up another Macworld podcast sponsored by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. Igloo, an internet you'll actually use, and Quello Concerts, the world's largest collection of full-length HD concerts and music documentaries. Thanks very much for listening.